Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, Richardson Pioneer will be implementing a new oat procurement program next year. The company does not want growers to use pre-harvest desiccants, and this isn't a new concept. Grain Miller stopped buying pre-harvest glyphosate-treated oats five years ago. Jenneth Johansson is president of the Prairie Oat Growers Association, and she talks about how this will impact oat farmers' decisions going into the next growing season. There will be some major changes coming to pulse crop research over the next few years. A funding agreement between Saskatchewan Pulse Growers and the University of Saskatchewan's Crop Development Centre will end in the fall. Saskatchewan Pulse Growers Director of Research and Development Dave Greenshields will tell us how the changes will affect farmers and the way they will benefit. When we come back, Jenneth Johansson. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Starting next year, Richardson International will no longer purchase oats treated with pre-harvest desiccants, including glyphosate. The decision comes following pressure from consumers concerned about food safety, even though glyphosate is registered in the vast majority of countries. Janeth Johansson is the president of the Prairie Oak Growers Association. Janeth, uh, I understand that you uh, got notification back in May from Richardson um, in an email? Well, it said effective immediately. Richardson Pioneer is launching an oat procurement program. This program will focus on sourcing Canadian oats that have not been treated with pesticides applied as a pre-harvest desiccant. They go on to state that they operate in a global environment driven by consumer demand. So with respect to oats, consumers' demand for desiccant-free products continues to grow. So what does this mean for oat producers in the 2021 growing season? Do the large majority of them use desiccant products in advance of harvest? I don't have a number that I could provide of how many producers use uh, a desiccant product on their oats. As you're well aware, farms are quite diverse. Each farm uh, manages things differently. Some farms may still uh, swath, lay their oats down in the fall. Other farms may just let them stand and dry down naturally. And then there are some farms that have relied in the past on either a desiccant or or pre-harvest herbicide application to control uh, hard-to-kill weeds. So obviously Richardson and grain millers are reacting to market concerns. Is that something oat growers understand, the reason behind those uh, those decisions, even though they don't necessarily agree with them? Polga believes in science-based solutions, and glyphosate is registered for use in Canada, as well as over 150 uh, countries across the world. With that said, uh, we do understand that consumers at the end of the day are the ones that are buying our products, and we want them to be happy with the products that they're purchasing. We as Western Canada and the Three Prairie Provinces, we grow 90% of the oats in Canada, and we represent uh, in Canada 70% of the world exports. So it's important, and we're pretty proud that we grow high-quality, nutritious, and safe oats. I guess on the other side, uh, Jenneth, can you see this impacting oat acreage next year? I know there's been requirements for glyphosate-free production from grain millers before this. How is this going to change um, as Richardson's requirements go further than that, than what grain millers has done? Because we're talking about all pre-harvest desiccants. 
It does. Um, potential impacts heading into the future. I would say the biggest thing is for producers to uh, pay close attention, and I would recommend that they are quite clear on the details of their contracts, uh, what they've signed on, and, and make sure that they meet those contract requirements. It may uh, create a period of transition for some farms in some regions because each region is a little bit different. Some producers may have to adapt how they currently manage their operations. Well, Jenneth, you're a farmer. Uh, maybe explain why glyphosate is a good tool for oat producers, especially for those that don't use a swather. Well, producers have been using glyphosate in the past to treat hard-to-kill perennial and biennial weeds. Uh, at the time of treatment that it's registered for is the ideal time to con- control these weeds. POGA believes in science-based solutions, um, and glyphosate is currently registered as a pre-harvest herbicide. My guest is uh, Jenneth Johansson, the president of the Prairie Oat Growers Association. And as we mentioned, Richardson will no longer accept oat crops treated with pre-harvest desiccants. Grain millers in Yorkton stopped buying pre-harvest glyphosate-treated oats back in 2015. Jenneth, uh, this is significant for northeast and east-central Saskatchewan, along with western Manitoba, because uh, these are prime oat growing regions. Oats have been an important part. I mean, the more crop types uh, that we can grow just increases our sustainability and viability from a farm perspective. So putting more limits and making it less attractive to grow a certain type of crop producers will transition into something else. So could we see a decrease in uh, planted oat acreage as a result of this decision? Uh, the organization has canvassed the number of growers, and uh, in some instances, uh, it may not change the current practices. Um, producers who uh, still own swathers or rely on swathers uh, for their acres may not change uh, any of their their current operations. Um, for larger acres, we've heard and uh, and understand that uh, perhaps swathing may not be an option just due to challenges at harvest time if we get wet weather. Uh, As you're aware, oats can downgrade in quality quite quickly if it gets rained on uh, while it's lying in a swath uh, at harvest time. So consumers are asking for products without glyphosate used on them. Um, It's reasonable to expect they should pay a higher price and producers should get additional benefit for growing oats? Well, when when canvassing um, oat producers, the discussion has come up. Essentially, with removing these options to manage risk, you're increasing risk to some producers, not all. So that increased risk will then factor into producers and how they choose uh, which crops to grow, uh, how they manage and what have you. And it could result in higher costs to them. So at the end of the day, a premium for the additional risk is a fair request and a fair assumption to make that it would be uh, a benefit. So I guess for anyone who wants uh, more information on this, uh, you've got uh, details in your newsletter. In the newsletter, it just has the statement uh, that uh, Richardson has issued. So I would just recommend that all producers contact uh, their their Richardson representatives if they're customers of them. Um, but any, bu- any grain buyer that you're dealing with, uh, just make sure that you're keeping in contact with them so that you're aware of what the requirements are to sell to them. So I guess the marketplace is going to have to adapt to that and what they have to do to have those acres stay in place. 
that's essentially what we believe will happen. Like I said, there could be a period of transition, um, but um, at the end of the day, oat growers want to supply the market that's there. We're really excited at the increased demand in oats and how successful oats have been in the last few years, um, and we hope that that continues. Oats have been doing very well uh, in the health food marketplace. Uh, consumers are certainly loving it. We're seeing that uh, as far as uh, the sales of oats. Well, it's a great product. It's high in beta-glucan. It's uh, high in fiber, which can help with managing and lowering blood cholesterol, which reduces the risk of, uh, of heart and stroke. And um, in addition to that, it's got lots of amino acids, minerals, and, uh, and it's, uh, it's a great, healthy product. You can uh, get more information on the Prairie Oak Growers and the statement from Richardson at poga.ca. After the break, Dave Greenshields with Saskatchewan Pulse Growers talks about the changes coming to pulse crop research. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Over the past 20 years, Saskatchewan pulse growers have invested roughly $40 million in pulse breeding through grower checkoffs. Another $20 million went to genomic products that support crop breeding. Genome sequencing is just one example of that. And in return for that money, SPG is able to provide those varieties to Saskatchewan farmers royalty-free. Dave Greenshields is with Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. Uh, Dave, first of all, walk us through this new agreement. The agreement that we have currently with the Crop Development Centre that's ending um, in September of 2020, that agreement allowed uh, SPG to have the commercial rights to all of the intellectual property developed on pulse crops at the Crop Development Centre. So that will continue regardless of whether the the agreement um, is in place or not uh, we will continue to have those rights so anything that was developed before september 30th 2020 at the crop development center spg will have commercialization rights too will happen when the current agreement expires the difference uh, will be that past september 30th 2020 the cdc will be able to have Uh, additional partners for their breeding program. Those partners may have different ideas or different targets than SPG had in the past. So, um, you know, there could be different outcomes there. Um, And then SPG can also have different partners. I mean, when you're, when you're supporting an entire breeding program, it's, you know, that's kind of the majority of your breeding dollars are going to that program. Uh, When you're not, you know, don't have that same kind of relationship, then, you have the ability to work with whoever you want, right? I mean, we could use the investment that we had invested directly at the CDC to work with, you know, another partner and still maintain or bring in the uh, IP that that was developed at the CDC and that we have rights to into, you know, another partnership. It's not that we're losing something, you know, with the relationship changing. It's that, yeah, there's a change, right? I mean, we, we will still maintain the rights that, that we had uh, from the beginning. So even though the details have yet to be worked out, you expect SBG and the Crop Development Centre to continue to work with each other? You know, we have one of the best breeding programs in the world. I mean, on pulse crops especially, you think about 
uh, the size and the scope of that breeding program, and it's right here in our backyard, I think it would be uh, it would be foolish to uh, just step away from something like that. So yeah, I, I definitely think that we'll work together in the future. I mean, we won't work together in the same way, but yeah, I think we'll definitely do exciting things together. So then it appears that farmers will likely have to pay royalties on future pulse varieties. Are there any positives for the growers? The more people that are competing, you know, the more breeders that are involved in breeding new varieties uh, will, you know, hopefully lead to increased choice in in what you can grow. Um, I think it'll at least speed things up in terms of getting new traits around herbicide tolerance or disease resistance or that sort of thing. Um, I think you'll see uh, kind of an acceleration in breeding uh, to that end. Uh, It'll also allow kind of new genetics from other places to come in, right? When you have a single breeding program breeding for a lot of acres, you end up getting, you know, some bottlenecks there where you can't use all of the material in the world at one time in a single breeding program, right? So if you have different bases of genetics from different places developing into into the next set of varieties, um, I think it'll it'll be some yeah, some interesting differences between varieties and more obvious differences or marked differences between different varieties uh, coming out of these programs. Dave Greenshields is the Director of Research and Development with Saskatchewan Pulse Growers, and we're discussing changes to pulse breeding research. Dave, I assume that SAS Pulse will continue to invest grower checkoff dollars for research in a number of specific areas. Uh, some of particular concern are uh, root diseases in uh, peas and uh, lentils. Uh, there's some great work that's been going on uh, at the CDC on peas, you know, just any way that we could accelerate uh, getting that resistance into the hands of growers. Um, I think that's an area of focus for us. And then looking for new resistance traits to get into peas. Um, and, and we've been talking to different companies and, and different breeding institutes in the U.S. and, and uh, actually across the world and, and just trying to find other uh, potential resistance traits that we can bring in. In lentils, a little further behind, but... You know, I think there is some opportunity there to get uh, resistance uh, in lentils to root rots as well. There's some recent work out of uh, Washington State University, and we've been talking to them about their, I guess, discovery of resistance genes in, in lentils and maybe how we could get that into uh, to some of our best lentil varieties here. And there's been a lot of work on uh, herbicide-tolerant lentils and working on more alternative crops to give producers some additional options, especially when root rot is a problem. Dave, how will new technology help plant breeders develop those better varieties for growers? Things like gene editing, where you can kind of go in and and, and specifically change a gene um, rather than doing random mutations throughout the genome and then selecting for that specific mutation. I, mean, I think that could really speed things up. There's some regulatory issues around that now, and, and it'll be interesting to see where that goes. But there's an opportunity then to make Canada a real leader in the use of, of gene editing. And it kind of puts small acre crops like pulses on you know the same stage as, as other bigger acre crops like corn and soy. So I think that'll be interesting. 129 pulse varieties are covered under the variety release program, and these account for approximately 90% of current acreage.
It's time for the Agriculture News Roundup for the week of July 6, 2020. The Canadian Crop Hail Association said 2020 had been an exceptionally busy year for crop damage claims. President Rick Omelchenko said more than 100 crop damage claims have been filed across the three prairie provinces from storms in late June, and that is trending toward the same type of season as last year. May was the second biggest month for Canadian wheat exports for the crop year. The Sask Wheat Market Outlook says Indonesia was the biggest buyer of Canadian wheat at 352,000 tonnes, followed by China and Colombia. Wheat exports have improved over the past two months but are still 5% behind last year's pace. Several companies around the world have had exports temporarily suspended by China. Cargill's beef packing plant at High River is one of those companies. China has put in similar rules for a number of other beef, pork and poultry operations around the world, including Brazil, Argentina, the Netherlands and Tyson's Foods poultry operation in the U.S., Cargill official Daniel Sutherland said they are still determining what it means and how they will proceed and its production capacity is not expected to change as a result. Growing oats will be a little more challenging next year. Richardson will not accept oats treated with pre-harvest desiccants in 2021. Another company, Grain Millers in Yorkton, stopped buying pre-harvest glyphosate treated oats in 2015. The new Richardson procurement plan will go into effect January 1st, 2021. This decision will not impact farmers who swath their oats, but it could influence other producers' seeding decisions. Canada's two largest railways moved record quantities of grain in the second quarter after benefiting from another strong month in June. CNNCP ramped up shipments of Western grain by using larger hopper cars and trains, while customers have been investing in elevator networks to accommodate 8,500-foot trains. An agri-food hub is being built in Lethbridge, Alberta. Premier Jason Kenney announced $27.8 million for Lethbridge Exhibition Park as part of the facility's redevelopment project. The location already houses food processing companies like Cavendish Farms, which opened a new $430 million frozen potato processing plant last year. A state-of-the-art grain export facility has opened on the West Coast. G3 Terminal Vancouver can receive up to three 150-car trains on its loop track, and the dock can accommodate vessels up to Cape Size, which is the largest dry cargo ship. The terminal has a storage capacity of 180,000 metric tons and receives and ships a variety of grains and oil seeds. The Canadian Agricultural Safety Association has begun the search for a new director. Marcel Huckle has led the organization since 2014, spearheading initiatives like Be Grain Safe, Back to Ag, and the Canadian partnership with Progressive Ag Foundation in the delivery of safety days. Huckle will remain in the position until March 2021 to help with the transition. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Patterson Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.